Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 tonight. This is the big chapter we've been working our way up to. This is where we find the Ten Commandments as God first gave them to his people of Israel. It is one of those mountain peaks in Scripture. I mean, there are a few passages that every Christian should be familiar with. This is one of those, Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments of God. Sometimes uh, theologians call it the Decalogue, which just simply means list of ten. We call it the Ten Commandments uh, by, uh, by uh, common use. Tonight, let's read verses 1 through 20 and just take a look at what is here in these commands. Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt, do, shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. For God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading and the study of your word this evening. Father, our heart's desire is simply to dig in, to understand more about what you said and why you said it and how we should use it in our own daily lives. Lord, help us to understand its place in time and history as it pertained to the nation of Israel before Christ and how it pertains to the church after Christ. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to get the big picture here tonight, and uh, Lord, that it might help us in leading others to Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Before we look at each of the individual commandments, uh, I, I want to look at them as a whole because you will find that they are referenced both individually and as a whole. It is oftentimes spoken about as the law, as it is one unit. Uh, James said that if you've broken the least of the commands, you've broken all of them because there is one lawgiver who judges. And so in some sense, it is one unit altogether. But it is also given in a list form by God. It is individual, and there were individual punishments for breaking the individual laws. But I, I want us to step back for a moment tonight before we just jump into the thick of it and, and ask the question, what are the Ten Commandments? Uh, what are they? What do they do? What purpose do they serve? Well, we can say that they are law. Yes, that would be correct. They were law that was given, that was a standard uh, for Israel to govern themselves. They are rules, and we uh, can use them as such. They are rules for us to live by. Uh, they are a moral code. Not everybody has the same moral code, and so the Ten Commandments are also a moral code. But they are more than that. I would say... That yes, they are law, yes, they are rules, yes, they are moral code, but more than that, they are the expression of God's holy character. What God is expressing here is the standard of his righteousness. It, it is what is innate within him. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, uh, he is the one who is perfect, and this law is an expression of his holy character. In fact, when Moses is recapping the giving of the law uh, to the next generation in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he explains how that the law was given and in it there was a, an expression of who God is. He says this, Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, by a stretched out arm, by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Out of heaven he made thee to hear his voice, that he might instruct thee. And upon the earth he showed thee his great fire, that thou heardest his words out of the midst of the fire. You'll find that phrase used in the book of Deuteronomy, out of the midst of the fire. It's always a reference to God speaking the Ten Commandments out of the fire that was on top of Mount Sinai that day. And so Moses is reminding them that God did this so that he could reveal himself to his people, that they might know that he is the Lord God. Not only do the commandments reveal God's holy character, but they also reveal mankind's sinfulness. And so in this expression of God's righteousness, his righteousness is revealed for us, but in application to those who receive it, we also see that it reveals our sinfulness when we say, hey, I'm not living up to those righteous standards. So the Ten Commandments express the righteous character of God and they expose the unrighteous character of man. It, it does both. In addition to that, the Ten Commandments define material expression of love. Now let me follow me for a minute. What do I mean by that? The Ten Commandments define 
a material expression of love. Well, sometimes we talk about love like it is ethereal, that it is, that it is, uh, it is intangible. You know, oh, I've got this feeling. It must be love, right? But love has a material expression, does it not? How do you know that somebody loves you? It is because they have expressed it to you. You might have a thing called radar love, Pat, but not everybody can pick up and read the radar, right? And so how do you know if somebody else loves you? It is because they have expressed it to you in some material way, verbally, by touch, by provision, whatever it may be. And so in one sense, the Ten Commandments are uh, define the material expression of love. Where do I get this? Well, I get this from Jesus Jesus is the, is the clearest interpreter of Scripture, and he summarized the Ten Commandments for us in Matthew chapter 22 when he said this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, if you love God, then you'll fulfill the first table of the law. If you love others, you'll fulfill the second table of the law because that is the material expression of love, right? Love does not kill. Love does not cheat. Love does not lie. Love does not envy. All of those things are uh, going to express what the law is expressing here. And so in the Ten Commandments, we have this plethora, if you would, this cornucopia of uh, truth that is just laid out for us and tumbles out down through the ages. The Ten Commandments teach us how to express love for God and how to express love for man or the antithesis. It exposes what is not love. If, if I am lying to my neighbor, then I don't love my neighbor. If I'm stealing from my neighbor, I don't love my neighbor. If I am putting value, more value on any object than I put on God, I'm not loving God the way I'm supposed to love God. And so the Ten Commandments uh, help us to see this in a very real, tangible way. In some ways, the purpose of the Ten Commandments has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is where people get a little twisted up sometimes. Exactly what do we do with the Ten Commandments now? Do they function the exact same way as they did back then, or do they function differently? Uh, in the Old Testament, in Israel, it was the law. It was the Constitution. It was the governing document for the nation. And so anytime we're reading the Old Testament, we have to keep in mind that God is structuring a nation and that he is giving laws to a nation. And yes, they have to do with individual and personal righteousness, but they also have to do with governance. And these are going to be the laws by which they run the land. And so they are going to use God's laws in all of their court cases. They're going to do them, use them in all of their legislation. They're going to use them as their governing document. When we get into the New Testament, God is not establishing a nation. He is building a body, the body of Christ. And so it is going to function a little bit differently. You see, uh, the Bible tells us that it all changed with Christ in the New Testament because we are no longer under the law. 
Now, we're going to turn to a few different passages of Scripture tonight, so it's safe if you move on from Exodus 20, and just go on with me to Romans chapter 6, where we'll be spending the majority of the rest of this message in the New Testament. And so, what we're doing tonight is looking at how does the Ten Commandments function in the New Testament? How does it work in your life and in my life today? Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 make this statement. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not, look at those next three words, under the law. You are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we, uh, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. So Romans 6, 14 and 15 is indicating that there has been a paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we were under the law, or they were under the law. This was the governing rule of authority over them. Paul acknowledges that now, through Christ, we're no longer under the law. Now we're under grace. We are under the governing authority or government of grace. Which begs the question, well, is the law sin? Is the law wrong? Is the law to be done away with? And I love Paul's terse answer, God forbid. That's not the message at all. It's not that we chunk it in the trash, throw it out in the rubbish. It is simply that it functions differently now than it did before. So if we're no longer under the law but under grace, does that mean that the law serves no purpose? Can we forget about it? Can we do away with it? Well, God answered that question through Paul in his first letter to Timothy. Let me just read this verse to you for time's sake. In 1 Timothy 1.8, Paul said, we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Okay. So the law has changed in the way that it functions. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. But by no means do we discard the law. God forbid that. So we must use the law lawfully or properly. So the law still serves a purpose if it is used properly. So what I want to get at tonight for us is what is the proper use of the law? What is the proper use of the Ten Commandments. Are we supposed to use this as our governing document? And are we supposed to punish people who break the Ten Commandments? Now, hold on before you answer that, right? Because you'll say, well, yeah, if somebody steals, there ought to be a punishment for it. Well, hold on a minute. What if they don't keep the Sabbath day? Do you want to police that too? Because I know a few culprits right now if you want to send out the posse, you know. So we got to ask because people, people get themselves into a real pickle and they get tore up about this. And I've heard people argue about this stuff. Well, it's the Ten Commandments. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You've got to do this. And you say, well, wait a minute. What about the Sabbath day? We're not, we're not meeting on Saturdays anymore. We're not taking that day off and giving it completely to the Lord. And so we've got to figure out exactly what is the proper use of the Ten Commandments 
in our dispensation, in our day and time. And the good news is, the Bible tells us. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to pool our ignorance together and say, well, I think it's this and I think it's that. And I say, well, I think that's a good idea. Let's go with that. We don't determine theology by vote. We let God speak clearly through his word. And so if you're ready to go on this journey with me tonight, number one, the proper use of the law is to reveal sin. It is to reveal sin. We find this in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. The entire chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about the law, and he's talking about how that we used to be married to the law, but now the law has died, and we've been set free by that rule. But then he goes on to explain the nuances of how the law works and functions, and he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, what shall we say then to this? I mean, if, the, if we're not serving in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit, is the law Sin, Or in other words, is it sin to live by the law? And again, he gives that terse two-word response, God forbid. Don't even think it. Banish the thought. And then he goes on to say this, no, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the proper use of the law is to reveal sin in our life. That is what the law is used for. Hey, doesn't that, doesn't that coincide? Doesn't that agree with the Exodus 20 text? Wasn't the last verse that we read in Exodus 20, 20? Didn't Moses say that ye might not sin? And so the law is used to reveal sin. The law is the fixed standard of God's righteousness. And when it is laid against our life, it will reveal the deficiency. I love how John states it in 1 John 3, 4. He makes it very plain. He says, Whosoever committed sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What is sin? It is breaking God's law, and God's law has been declared. It is a fixed standard. It is not fluid. It is not moving. It is not changing with the times. God has one fixed standard of righteousness and that is what we measure every action, every word, and every thought by. It is by the fixed standard of God's word. It is kind of like a carpenter's level. You probably saw me carry that in and wondered what I was doing with that. That actually is my own level. I got it from someone else years ago, but I've used it quite a bit as I've done projects around the church and around the house. And the carpenter's level is one of the most useful tools that you will ever have in your toolbox because it gives the fixed standard for level and it gives the fixed standard for plumb by which all things are measured. If you don't know how one of these things works, there is a little tube inside of there, and it is filled with alcohol, some type of alcohol. The old-timers would call these a whiskey stick, uh, remember? And it is slightly curved, and there is a bubble, an air bubble in there. And because there is a slight curvature in there, when it is true to level, that bubble will set between the lines. And so this thing gives us a fixed standard of what is level 
if we go on the horizontal plane, but if we go on the vertical plane, it'll do the same for us because they uh, turn the tubes a different direction and you can do the same to see where your plum is, where your vertical is. It's a fixed standard. This thing is marvelous. This level is designed to read true everywhere, all the time. Now, I know, I know, sometimes they go bad, right? I remember I worked for a, a, a carpenter one time and one side of his level had an X on it. I said, well, what's that for? He said, that's the bad side. Don't use that side. <laughs> and so I know that they go bad sometimes, uh, you know. Uh, but, but the design is that these levels read true all the time, everywhere. Now think about that for a minute. Think about this, this technology that God gave us, this old technology of level, and it transcends culture. It transcends country. It transcends language. Let me tell you, I can carry that thing into Japan and they'll know what it is, right? Even if I can't speak the word level in Japanese, they're going to recognize that because that is a universal fixed standard that reads true. And so this level doesn't make things level, It doesn't make anything level. It just reveals if something is level or is not level. Again, ding, ding, ding. It's like the law. The law, like this level, will reveal sin. It will reveal if something is level or not. It was never intended to make it level. It simply reveals what level is. That's how the law works. But more than that, number two, the Ten Commandments show the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Again, Romans chapter 7, if we go on down to verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is not finished in, in his rhetoric about the law and explaining this to the Jewish and to the Gentile mind. And he says in Romans seven twelve, wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is inherently holy. It is inherently good. It is inherently just. The law is not deficient in what it was designed to do, which is to reveal sin. It is deficient if you're trying to use it to make yourself righteous. That was never the intended purpose. Just like rubbing a level on a board is not going to make it level. No matter how much contact it has with it, it'll never bring it up to level. It will only reveal what is level and what is not. Going on, verse 13, Was then that which is good, the law, made death unto me? And so again, here's a, here, here, here is a, a, a philosophical question. Well, if the law is good, but the law kills me, then how is the law good? Does it become bad? And again, God forbid, don't even think of that line. You're going around down the wrong line of reasoning. He goes on to explain this. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment, by the law, by the Ten Commands, watch this last phrase, might become exceeding sinful. You see, the purpose of the law is to reveal sin and how sinful sin is. 
Just like a builder who eyeballs it. You ever been around one of those guys? Ah, it looks good enough. Nail it. Right? If it's within half an inch, it's good. Well, wait a minute, bro. Get out your level. Get out your square. Get out your tape measure. You see, just like a builder who wants to eyeball it, our opinion is not perfect. If you and I are just eyeballing our sin, we're going to say, ah, it's not that bad. You know, well, I saw what somebody else did. I'm not nearly as bad as they are. I'm a lot better off than they are. And it will cause us to believe that we are closer to right than we actually are. I learned something about levels, and of course I am certainly no master, and I know that there are people in this room that are more knowledgeable about it than I am. But if you put your level down and you find that you are off, you can take your tape measure and you can find out that, well, if I'm off an inch in four foot, then that means I'm off two inches in eight foot. I'm off three inches in 12 foot. I can figure out how far off I actually am in the run of the timber by using a level that doesn't go all the way. It shows me how off I am. Sometimes you look at something and you say, well, that's not too far off. And then you put the level up against it. And then you have to take that level and pull it out <laughs> until you see the bubble go between the lines. And you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that it was leaning that far. And so the law, in the same sense, reveals to us the exceeding sinfulness of our sin. Our actions, our words, our thoughts don't look too bad until we compare them to God's law. That's why I think it's good for Christians to study the law. It's good for you and I to be familiar with the law, to, to have a working knowledge of the Ten Commandments. Not that we're trying to live them out to make ourselves righteous, but that we have this reminder to us. We have this fixed standard. We're carrying our level with us, and it indicates to us when we are off track. I'm afraid too many people have a delusional belief that their sin is not that bad. And I mean good people. I mean Christian people. Too many have a delusional belief that their sin is not that bad. But if you use the Ten Commandments, you'll see just how bad it is. You know, I didn't think I was that bad of a sinner when I got saved. Now, mind you, I got real convicted about my sin. I got deeply convicted about my sin. But you know what I knew? I was coming out of this, this background where I, I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't uh, comparing myself to God's law. I was coming out of a background where I was surrounding myself by other sinners. And I knew plenty of dudes that were doing stuff worse than I was. And so while I was convicted about my sin and prayed and asked God to forgive me and I was thankful for God's forgiveness... I didn't think I was the worst until I got into church. And then I got into the Word. And I began to see how righteous God is. And the further I went along in finding out how righteous God is, the worse I began to realize how my sin was. 
I mean, he didn't just save me out of a little sin. He saved me out of total depravity. He didn't just save me from some minor sins. They were major sins that were going to send me to hell. I mean, my uh, thought life, my will was obstinate and against God. It was opposite to my creator. I was exceedingly sinful in comparison to the righteousness of God. You know, that's how a Christian becomes a hypocrite, is when they're not aware of how sinful their sin is, right? I have acceptable sins, your sins. They're bad. I'm glad I don't have your sins. Man, if I had your sins, I'd probably get saved again. But mine, you know, they're not that bad. I'm telling you, You start interacting with the law, you start interacting with the commands of God, you start getting a glimpse of the righteousness of God's character, it will convict you like it did Paul about the exceeding sinfulness of our sins. The third proper use of the law is to declare the guiltiness of the sinner. Still in the book of Romans, but going back a few chapters to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The Bible makes this statement about the law. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, saith to them who are under the law, watch, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I hate to break it to you, but we are self-justifiers. We are excuse makers when it comes to our sin. But the unbending rigidity of the law shuts our mouths and leaves us without excuse Romans 3, Paul says the law is going to shut down every objection. When the law is read, when the law is declared, there won't be anybody who is able to say, but I object, I wasn't. No, it will close every argument. It actually will bring you to self-condemnation. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you and I will interact with the law now and we see the unbending righteousness of God's character and how far off we are from that, we won't have to wait for a judge to call us guilty. Our own conscience will condemn us and we will recognize our guiltiness. That is the design of the law. That's why God published it centuries and millennia ago. Because it is the same law by which he's going to judge the world on judgment day. And he wants them to come in contact with the law now so that it reveals their sin and the exceeding sinfulness of their sin. And it declares the guiltiness of their sin so that they repent and turn to Christ and get saved and avoid. Avoid the final day of sentencing that is to come. It is the same law which God will judge us by on judgment day. And this law 
while it may not be a pleasant exercise, helps us feel the weight of our guilt before the day of our punishment. Aren't you glad you felt the weight of your guilt before you stood before God? The weight of your guilt that came on your conscience after hearing from the Word of God is what brought you to your knees in repentance and in faith to God. It was the fact that you knew you were already guilty, already condemned. There was no hearing necessary. All that was left in this judicial process was the sentencing. And the guiltiness of the sinner convicts his own conscience and convinces them of their need for a savior. Which brings us to the final purpose of the law, and that is in the book of Galatians, number four, Galatians chapter three, but number four, the law brings us to Christ. The purpose of the law is to bring the sinner to Christ. Hey, what's the purpose of that level? Well, it's to bring things to level. It is to bring things into plumb. It is not just to set the level on it and say, that's bad, and walk away. The purpose of the level is so that we can bring that plane to level and nail it there and be able to leave it in that level spot. Well, you know, the purpose of the law is not just to beat you down. It is not just to, to, to make you feel like a bad, guilty sinner. All of that is a process that God is using to bring the sinner to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some uh, legalists. Uh, he has led these Galatians to the Lord. Some Judaizers have came in there, the, these, these hybrids who had, who had accepted some of the truth of the gospel, what were trying to get people to live by the law as the completion of their salvation. And the Apostle Paul is saying, man, who sidetracked you? How did you get off course so quickly? How did you return to the beggarly things of the law? And he throws down this truth bomb on them in Galatians 3 19 through 26 wherefore then serveth the law what's the purpose of the law he's just decimated the fact that it is not the law that saves us he says it was added the law was added think about it it didn't come until Exodus chapter 20 it didn't come in Genesis 1 with Adam it didn't come in Genesis 12 with Abraham it came in Exodus 20 it was added because of transgressions. It was added because sin in the world. Till the seed, singular, referring to the Messiah, Christ. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. The law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, Paul's classic answer. You're going down the wrong line of reasoning there. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily, truly, righteousness should have been by 
the law. Let that sink in for a moment. He's saying, here's the argument. Do you think that if there was a law that could have saved your soul, that God would have sent his son to die on the cross for your sins? Do you think that if there was any other way possible for you to be reconciled to God by keeping a law, do you think God is so sadistic that he would have sent his only begotten son and punished him for the sins of the world on the cross and turned his back on him? No, is the obvious answer. And so he's saying, you're reading the law all wrong. You're, lo- you're using the law wrongly when you're trying to use it to save yourself. That's not the purpose of the law. Verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. We're all sinners. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, here it is, it's beautiful. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Again, we got to examine that verse for a moment because sometimes people take it out of context. They misuse it. Here's the beautiful truth. The law is like a schoolmaster who is bringing us to Christ. It is teaching us the lessons The schoolmaster, the governor, the teacher, the one who was over the pupil. Education was a little different back then. I mean, you you had a schoolmaster, a guy who was over you, who could tell you what to do and can make you mind. And just like with education today, it was graduated or comprehensive. So you got to teach them the letters, and then you teach them the blends, And then you teach them the words. And then you teach them phrases. And then you teach them sentences. And then you teach them simple sentences and complex sentences. And then you teach them paragraphs. And then you keep expounding upon that until you give them the intellectual capital that they need to go out and live on their own until they graduate. And what the law does for you and I, man, is it takes us to school. You're a sinner. Ouch. It's the truth. Check it out. Compare yourself to the law. You're a sinner. Hey, you're not just a sinner. You're a really bad sinner. Your sin stinks. It is going to receive the judgment of God. Look again at the law. Compare yourself. You're learning this. Hey, it gets even worse, friend. You're guilty. If you stand before God today and you're judged by that law, you're going to hell for eternity. And the whole purpose of the law is to bring us to the place where we realize that we need to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we can't save ourselves and the law cannot save us. Only the Savior can save us. Now, here's where people sometimes go wrong on the whole schoolmaster thing. I'm not under a schoolmaster no more. Forget those Ten Commandments. Hold on a minute. I'm not in school anymore either. 
And when I walk into the school, I don't really care what the principal thinks about my haircut or anything else because he ain't the boss of me anymore, right? But you know what I didn't do? I didn't toss out everything I learned in school. I still use that every day. I still use those ABCs. I still use those mathematics skills. I still use all of those lessons that were taught to me because they were preparing me for something. And so in the same sense, we don't just toss the law out and say the Ten Commandments, psh, that's no good. We don't need that anymore. No, it is still educational. It is still instructional. It is still guidance that brought us to Christ and helps us to understand how to walk with Christ and how to relate with Christ and how to live for Christ. But make no mistake about it, the primary purpose of the law was to reveal our sin, to prove our guiltiness, and to convince us to come to Christ for salvation. And so, just one little tidbit of application for you tonight before we part ways, I believe that we should use the Ten Commandments or some of the commandments every time we witness to somebody anytime we give the gospel to someone we have to first convince them that they are sinners right I've heard preachers say before you can get them saved you got to get them lost well what do you mean by that well sometimes you come up on people and they have no knowledge that they are sinners in the eyes of God. They've not had any Bible background. They've not been in churches. They think that they're pretty good people. They try to live immoral lives. I've even had people say, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. And oh, I get excited when they, they say that. I say, oh, the Ten Commandments, how you doing? Let's talk about this. And so I want to use the Ten Commandments because that is the fixed standard that God gave for sinfulness. I always tell people sin is not what I think is taboo. It's not what my church thinks is taboo. It's not what your grandma thinks is taboo. Let me tell you something. Different churches have different opinions on what sin is and isn't. I said, God gave us a fixed standard. It is the Ten Commandments. Let's go to the Bible. Let's look at some of these commands. I learned much of this from Ray Comfort. If you're familiar with the way of the master, he does a great job at this. But he'll ask people a few questions like, like, have you always put God first in your life? And, of course, the answer is, well, I try, but probably not perfectly. And then he'll ask them something like this. Well, have you ever used the Lord's name in, in vain? And, of course, people, oh, yeah, I've probably done that. And he'll say, well, let me ask you, you know, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, I've done that. Well, and he'll say something like this. Well, how many, how many lies does it take to make you a liar? And, oh, just one. He'll usually hit him with this one, too. He's like, have you ever lusted after someone? And then he'll say, you know, Jesus said that if we looked upon a person with lust, then we've committed adultery in our heart. And when he's gotten them to answer yes to those questions, which everybody is, is guilty of, he says, well, you just admit it that you are a lying, blaspheming adulterer. Right? And it's always interesting. They've done a bunch of videos where you, you watch it. And I'm not saying that you have to take that exact same approach. But I'm telling you, if you want to lead somebody to Christ, you've you got to take them back to the law because the law came first. That's what Galatians is saying. And the law came to give the knowledge of sin so that we would know that we need a Savior to save us from our sins. 
And so unleash the power of the word of God when you are witnessing. It is the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is not the gospel without the law. The gospel is not the good news of forgiveness without the bad news of the guiltiness that the law brings. And so for you as a Christian, you understand the purpose of the law and it has been a benefit and a blessing in your life. But our job now is to try and lead other people to Christ. And so let's use the law lawfully to help them see their need for a Savior. Would you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for another opportunity to worship, another opportunity to study your word, another opportunity to come in contact with this divine data Lord, I just pray and ask that you would help us to be faithful witnesses. I pray, Lord, that when we read the law and we're reminded of how exceeding sinful our sin is, I pray that there would be exceeding gratitude towards you. I pray that there would be an exceeding commitment to serve you. Uh, Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to be faithful to plainly tell your law to others in trying to lead them to Christ. May we not soft sell sin and we, may we not use some cultural standard by which we measure sin, but may we always use your standard, your scriptural, divine, fixed, universal standard of the law. And may we see more people saved because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.